This episode is sponsored by Whoop. If you don't know what Whoop is, it is a fitness tracker. You've probably seen it on the wrist of guys like Rory or Justin Thomas, Tiger, Scott Stallings. And they're using it to track a few different metrics. One is strain. The other is recovery and sleep. And from what I've seen, what I've heard, most people talk about recovery and sleep as being these metrics that they're really enjoying diving into. Recovery is really simply how well you're ready to perform the next day. The more that you're recovered, the better you can perform at your peak. It's a stat that is worth tracking, and I've found a lot of value personally and from what I've heard other pros talking about with me of how they're using it. Whoop is a sponsor of the podcast and has given us an awesome discount code. You can use GSL to get a discount when you pick up your Whoop band. And we also have a Whoop team, which is awesome. So everybody in the Golf Science Lab community who's picked up a band, we can kind of see what everyone's doing. You can make this into a game and try to get to your best when it comes to sleep and recovery and what you're doing with strain. So you can head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Whoop, and there's a code that you can uh, enter in and join our team. It'd be really fun to get everyone who's picked up a Whoop band involved on that. So make sure to check that out. And Whoop.com, code GSL for discount. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking to the leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Man, this is a crazy time to be alive right now. Hope you all are staying safe and healthy on the pros side of everything that's going on. I've heard that some golf courses are actually opening back up in California as the rest of the nation seems to be shutting down in Minnesota here. We just got the stay at home order. So something to look forward to hopefully is golf courses opening and getting out there and being safe, being distant, not going to the clubhouse. But if you are playing golf, I am jealous because it's still snowing here in Minnesota. But hopefully you are getting a little relief from the stay at home stuff that's going on. But in today's episode, we are sticking with our theme of some data. Last week, we talked with the CEO and co-founder of Arcos Golf. This week, we are sitting down with Nick Clearwater from Golf Tech to talk about a massive study that they have been conducting. They have so much data. It is crazy. They capture all these things about every golf swing they collect, whether it's with the motion capture system that the golfers are wearing, their skill level, age, etc. And then the, the launch monitor as well. There's so many insights that they can share. This is one study that they've done uh, that we're going to talk about today. It's a really cool conversation. Hopefully we have more to come with them, I, them because I think there is so much that we can learn from someone that has so much information from so many golfers. It absolutely blows my mind how much fascinating stuff they've captured. But I'm really excited to dive into this episode with them. And then I'm curious how many of y'all have been to a golf tech, gotten instruction from a golf tech, what you think about that. Head over to Twitter. I would be really curious. Uh, just hit reply on the latest tweet where I, I mentioned this new podcast. Curious about your thoughts on golf tech there. Other than that, let's get into it. This episode is also sponsored by Super Speed Golf. Super Speed Golf is one of the makers of the best training system to help you swing faster. And they've just come out with a brand new product called Super Speed C, which is all about helping you increase your hand and arm speed by counterweight training. 
This is brand new. It just came out. I've been testing it for a little while. Super curious about this. We did a webinar with the guys. Uh, you can see the recording over at golfsciencelive.com slash superspeed webinar to learn more about Superspeed C and what it's all about. I think you're going to definitely want to do that as it's training something that I'm not sure if we've been able to train before on the golf swing. So golfsciencelive.com slash superspeed C to get all the details. This has been a little while in the making. Nick and I exchanged messages probably two years ago. We exchanged another round of messages a year ago. And now I just grabbed you because we finally have a moment to sit down and talk about some really interesting work that you guys have done at Golf Tech. And I, I just thought it'd be good to dive in all the details because it sounds like you've done some really cool stuff. You're saying it's the largest kinematic study that's ever been done? Yes. So it's awesome to be here with you. And yes, we are totally impromptu here <laughs> and making errors along the way. But yeah, so it's a large kinematic study, the largest, according to my friends at the Denver University and their biomechanics lab. So they study human movement all the time. So the study of any sport, not just golf. Well, it's the biggest in golf. Biggest in golf, yeah, okay. yeah. So I'm sure there have been larger ones in, in other sports, but no, in golf, it's really hard to capture data. Mm -hmm. So throughout all of the people that we teach at Golf Tech, so a little context to that, last year we taught over 1.2 million golf lessons as a company, and we've got 850 instructors and about 205 locations all over the world. So we have all these people that come in to take golf lessons every day. Well, we capture motion data from them, and then we also know what their handicap level is. So you can make a really simple and elegant study about when someone's good, here's how they move, and when someone's bad, here's how they move as well. That's like the tip of the iceberg of what, uh, what you can do with that data. But we started to do that, and then the guys at the biomechanics lab there for DU, they do all the math problems and run the correlative data and the study of, uh, of all the movement, and then give me the the Pearson correlation coefficients or the fancy name for here's what the output is. And then uh, they leave it to me to present the rest of it. So you guys have like a master database where all this lives. Yes, we have a, we do everything internally. Everything's stored in the Amazon cloud. We use their web services. We've got enough data to almost double what the Library of Congress has for data and more data than the iTunes movie library. If That's you could imagine that, yeah. So we're talking about having about 5 million swings. Uh, which which has, so to clarify, you guys are capturing 3D data with motion capture. What is all that you collect? Yeah, so we've got a two-sensor system right now that uh, captures basically where the top of your spine is, right at the base of your neck. And then another sensor that sits right on your tailbone. So those two, when you start to learn how those move and how they uh, change position throughout an entire swing, can really just be the foundation for how to teach golf, which is important to me because that's really my job is to try to make sure that all the lessons that are taught at Golf Tech are really good and they're all kind of based around reality and not someone's opinion so that if I for some reason didn't show up to work the next day, we'd keep right on moving along as if nothing had happened and every teacher could still teach golf exactly how they do now. So you guys have taken these two sensors and you've taken the skill level of the golfer hitting the shot. Right. And what'd you do with it? So then the correlations between the positions at, uh, at address, the top of the swing impact, and then a little bit into your follow through really what we started with. Next versions are going to get way deeper into that. We'll be able to capture frame by frame in the collection process at 240 frames per second, how someone's moving, hmm. and more data points. But we started just with that, just to see what would happen, what would come out, and then uh, how that would either confirm or 
or change how we taught golf. Luckily, it didn't really do anything but just confirm how we were already doing it, mainly because we've used that same motion system, 200 tour-level golfers, and then we know how they move when they swing. So the uh, correlations just really show that better amateur golfers basically move themselves around in those two locations like uh, the best golfers that you'd see on TV every week. It's smaller separators of skill that make up a zero handicap from, say, your plus seven, like you might watch uh, Matt Wolf or any of the guys on the PGA Tour this week play. So you've got all this data. I, I guess the one question is to start with is some people might ask, like, is two sensors enough? Like, yeah. is that enough to get anything interesting? Oh, it's enough to get something interesting. Is it enough? No. So my point was not to say we've solved all the world's golf problems and there's nothing else to learn. I'd like to get to that, though. Now, the, <laughs> the DU team, the biomechanics team there, uh, those guys are amazing. They've been nothing but helpful. Uh, we work with them on a bunch of different projects. But this one... Running all the correlation coefficients of what we've done, so all running, all, crunching all the numbers to say it very plainly, shows that what we have from just those two locations describes 23.1% of the separator of skill of handicap of, of average golfers, hand, amateur golfers. And what would be like from a scratch to a 20 handicap or like? Yeah. So yes, that's what would separate okay. zero from the rank beginners Okay. and anything in between. So that at 23% right now, 23.1 is the highest that anyone has ever really dove into motion data and gotten answers for. So there are plenty of ways to get around it. That is an, an interesting testament to knowing how your hips and your shoulders or your pelvis and your thorax move around when you play. That can make or break people's games very quickly if they understand how that works or don't really follow the rules. Hmm. Now, what I'd like to do and what we're going to keep doing is we're working with uh, another company to actually get rid of our markered system where we've got the two sensors that you have to wear. Not because it's bad, but it's time to just capture more. This uh, study shows us we've got a long way to go. So we're working on having an optical motion capture system. So I don't know if you've been to a, into a golf tech, but for anyone, who, okay. So for anyone who has, you walk onto the mat, your coach straps you up into the sensors, and then that enables him to measure your swing and give you an objective golf lesson and then show improvement over time too. So it's the, the premise is right. But now if you could just walk onto the mat and an entire skeleton that was being measured and all of your joint center locations were being calculated and all of that data was being stored for all of the people that come in, we now have like a hundredfold data of what we've got right now. So from there, I'm hopeful that we can get to solving maybe 70 or 80% of what separates skill levels. And at that point, you'd have just the short game pieces to uh, solve the rest of that puzzle. My question is, well, I guess, like, let's look at the results. Like, what are the major separators that you found? Sure. So you can find all of this on uh, golftech.com slash swing true. So S-W-I-N-G-T-R-U would be that URL. Can I say that mainly because after talking about this on radio shows and yeah. podcasts so many times, it's hard to follow along. But uh, some of the biggest ones would be just that are really easy to describe would be the amount that your shoulders, like you can tilt them left or right when you swing. Most people start and they're fairly level, but slightly tilted away from the target or mm -hmm. to the right for a right-handed player. At the top of the swing, there's actually a change in that tilt that moves from right to left, and you angle yourself towards the crown that way. Everyone knows to 
there is some tilting to the left at the top of the swing. However, there's a really high correlation between the amount that you tilt to the left and your skill level. So the more you do, the better golfer on average you tend to be. Meanwhile, a lot of uh, teaching systems that have been created over the years without measurement tools, I've heard plenty of videos of teachers saying that you want to turn fairly level to the ground, don't tilt yourself to the left. When you start looking at players of the old days of Al Guyberger, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, those those are players tilted even more to the left than than what I would ever prescribe. It's a good thing. It's a good trait. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be a rock star golfer in of itself, but that showed up as a high correlation. Any idea why? Uh, yeah. The ability to hit the ground is helpful for an iron shot. So the less you tilt to the left, <laughs> the harder it is to hit the ground in the same place. So that's a good one. And then in general, that might be a, best, a good way to sum up the backswing. If you want to sum up all the data that we've got, the best players turned the most in the backswing. They tilted the most towards the ground. And then the dimension in golf that's rarely ever talked about is the amount of forward or backward bend you have. And they also bend themselves backwards more. So in that, the backswing. Yeah. So in that, you could just imagine standing straight up. That would be where your, your bends would be about zero degrees. So if you stretch out your thorax, bend that back just a little bit more. That's how the best golfers are at the top of their swing with the, the upper part of their spine. So there's just a lot of bending back, a lot of bending to the left, a lot of turning. And they do that because it's the beginning of really having some potential power. Meanwhile, the worst players tend to slice. We know that from the ball flight data that we also capture now, too. But they don't move themselves around nearly as much. And then they're limited at how far you get at the ball. There's problems with uh, moving yourself around so much that it's hard to hit the ground in the right spot, too. So that would be the story for the backswing. And then at impact, tilting to the right was a big one. And so was the amount that your hips are moved towards the, the target. So the more toward the target, same thing. It's easier to hit the ground in the right spot. That also is the beginning of tilting yourself away from the target, which is a trait found in the best golfers too. That lets you hit it really high and far. And then maybe the one that I appreciate the most is in the follow through. And that's the amount that you bend yourself backward again. So the best players on TV that you see every year or every week, you know, their finished position, their legs are straight, their weight's over their front foot, their shoulders are extended backwards. That is such a strong correlation to good golf that I would argue for most people learning how to do that and when to do that is really the first thing you should learn. And if you struggle with golf, it's probably the first thing you should address before you go on to something else. So describe that specifically, what you mean in the follow through. So we're, we've moved all of our, we've moved everything left on the lead leg, right? Yep. And then what's happened to the pelvis sensor in the? Yeah, so the pelvis sensor uh, at impact should be a zero degree bend. So okay. that would be, if you want, this is the perfect way to describe that. Just stand straight up right now in your office or your house. Yeah. That's zero degrees of hip bend. Your shoulder bend would actually be back about 10, 20, 30 degrees more than that into your follow-through. But your hip bend always stays at zero in, from the moment you hit the ball backwards. Most people are too flexed forward, like the old, uh, the old adage you hear, the dogmatic view of keep your head down or mm -hmm. don't lift up. Mm -hmm. That's uh, exemplary of the worst golfers, but it's told so different because the people who give that advice have never measured swing. They're bad at golf. That's an easy thing to just look at and abstractly say, oh, that must have been your problem. That's never the problem. So we're trying to break down some barriers with all this data of the dogmatic views of yeah. why people 
stink at golf and want to get better, but they don't even know where to start. And then you uh, give them a very simple system. So we started with just six measurements that if you if you had those six mastered, and that's on that web page, yeah. uh, golftech.com slash swing true, then, then you'd have most of your movement problems solved. Hmm. Then you could worry about the smaller details, like how much your elbows are bent, how much your left wrist is extended, how much you start uh, uncocking your wrists on the downswing. Those are the smaller parts that would take this from 23% up towards that 70 or 80% of solving the golf world's problems. Well, it sounds like the things you've described as the biggest separators are more like they're big things. It's like being athletic, like mm-hmm. making a good turn, getting your, pre- yeah. it sounds like you're getting your pressure over to your left side and you're like actually finishing a golf swing. Like you got, it. to me, those sound like athletes doing athletic movements yeah. kind of thing, like, which yeah. is makes total sense. Yes. Right? It's very remedial from the standpoint of it, but it starts letting you kind of see the, the forest from the trees. Yeah. It's so easy to watch someone swing and then uh, try to find like the fringe pieces of why they're good. Like someone watches Rory McIlroy and they say, well, in the downswing, he bends forward quite a bit. He lowers his head to the ground. That must be why he's good. Hmm. Or the guy I give a hard time because he's never measured swings in 3D this way is Brandel Chambly. He writes a whole book about how you need to, on the backswing, lift your left heel, which I would tell you under the scrutiny of measuring because I've been down that road just to make sure I could validate these statements. That has nothing to do with it either. Hmm. You're you're picking at the fringes. What was more useful out of that was the amount you turned your shoulders. That became so important uh, in our correlative study about distance and a skill that you want to turn your hips a lot so that you can turn your shoulders a lot. That's Mm. the the implication we got out of that. Not lifting your left heel and suddenly everything was magic. It was, there was a little bit more up the chain than that. That makes total sense. You said something interesting. You said people start with the, with the follow through first. Did you say that? uh, I would say that if you're having a hard time with golf, that's actually the better place to start. So this is about as simply as I can say it without having a bunch of pictures to it. Sure. At a dress, you start bent forward. Yeah. So your hips are bent forward at some angle. Your shoulders are bent forward on some angle. On the downswing, when your left arm is just barely past parallel to the ground, you're in almost exactly those same bends you started at at mm-hmm. a dress. Mm-hmm. When you look at this uh, down the line, so you can see your target shooting that way. Yeah. Then the rest of the swing, from that point on, every golfer who's any good at the game bends their hips backward levels them out and their shoulders bend backward and they do that so that they can uh, then uncock their wrists and that radial deviation comes out the shaft gets further away from you and then you can hit the ground in the right place if you don't have that skill set you're left with hitting fat and thin and pulling your arms towards you or extending your wrist at impact to shorten up the the radius of the swing so that you don't smash it into the ground. Most people do that so poorly, or they don't even realize you're supposed to be doing that, that uh, that's the beginning of of the demise. And then they might spend the rest of their golfing life and their frustration trying to uh, get better at practicing their backswing. And that isn't the place where people should really start on their journey to improvement. might be a decent place, but it's probably not the best place. What about like um, the physical limitations throughout this, right? So like you, you mentioned the shoulders, like being able to make a shoulder turn. It's tough for some people. Like I struggle with hip mobility. You know, like we talked about, you know, lifting your left heel is a good way to cheat that potentially. Yeah, yeah. Like so, so is it looking at cheat? Like if you lack some of that stuff, finding cheats to, to get people to do that or? 
Well, uh, maybe. So I'd start with saying that uh, what's important in the first equation, just for your your piece of shoulder turn, is that you turn yourself sh- your shoulders about 90 degrees or more. So if you recognize that that's important and then your teaching system or how your playing system is lenient enough to say, I just need to do that, and then I'll scrape the rust off the bridge as an analogy, hmm. that's a better way to learn the game. So a way I might do that is uh, at a dress, most people don't turn their right foot out enough. I'd do that maybe 20 or 30 degrees for everyone anyway. Hmm. That enables you to turn your knee outward as well and, and presets a little bit of the hip turn anyway. Then on the backswing, most people don't uh, straighten their trail leg enough physically move their pelvis enough. We watched that in a, two live lessons today. Yeah. And then because of that, the limitation from your lumbar spine up to your thoracic spine is uh, very diminished. So the problem that most people battle, and I say this because I've never met someone who can't turn their shoulders 90 degrees in the backswing ever. The golfer hasn't come to me yet anyway. If you're listening to this podcast, please see Nick if you can't. (laughs) Well, this is how it works, though. So you turn your foot out, straighten your trail leg, try to turn your pelvis a lot, especially if you're at home trying to do this. The value of the golf tech lessons is that we can measure it so we know how many degrees you should be turned as you progress along the backswing. If you do those two things and then uh, you learn a little bit about how to extend your spine in the backswing, so don't feel like your head stays close to the ground, but actually the opposite of that, you can turn 90 degrees. And the formula is not real complicated, but it can get lost again in the forest versus the trees analogy again, if you're looking at the fringe things. So this isn't flexibility. I think that's a borderline a cottage industry in golf as it is for saying, well, you just can't turn 90 degrees. So let me go have some, give you some exercises. My friend Brad Faxon that we were talking about here on the, yep. the voicemail, he's been victim even of saying, being told that information before and Brad's fitter than you and I together. Hmm. has nothing to do with that. It's uh, His form just isn't always good, so that's why he can't do it. And then the same thing goes for your average player. The rules are the same, really. And this is just rambling. So you mentioned we're here at the Top 100 Summit. George Gankus was giving some live lessons, trying to get some hip turn going on. And like I would assume a lack of shoulder turn in the backswing is is very common, right? And I, this is just my ramblings or musings. But like it just seems like in golf we've been told to be under control, to be slow, you know, like slow and easy, don't rush it. And so we lose all our athleticism. We lose our ability to turn because we're like trying to stay under control. Like I, I can't. It can't get out of control, right? And so we get stiff, and then it's just like it seems like it all goes downhill. Yes, uh, piggybacking on that or piling on, I think that's the uh, the line most people have heard of. Once they start hitting bad shots, the their instructor might tell them, make a shorter swing, don't move around as much, uh, just keep everything shorter, what could go wrong? And it's uh, it's the opposite of that. That's the beginning of playing bad golf. So if someone's telling you that, I'd question their advice a little bit for sure. Interesting. I think we might have opened a few people's eyes yeah, here we, on the podcast. Yeah, sorry. There's a, there's a few indirect shots that come out of these comments because no. it's, it's more that uh, the way golf has been taught is, in my world, very, very backwards. And it's put us like in a bad place in golf instruction. So the way golf's been taught really has been uh, really good players started as long back as we can think, 100 years ago. If they thought they did something, they wrote it in a book. Yeah. 
8 billion people read that book and then that's golf. Well, unfortunately, what you'd want to do is measure the best players, measure the worst players, figure out what separates their skill, write that in a book and then distill that down and you'd be in a way better place for golf. So even today or whenever, uh, whenever I'm at conventions like this, I I hear a lot of opinions just like you do. And some of them sound so different from person to person. And all that's really come from is a a lack of being able to measure the players that you teach. And then your teaching system is based much more around your opinion, observation, experience, and that can be fine too. But uh, for 850 golf tech coaches to do a great job every day, we have to have a teaching system that's not based around opinion. It won't work like that. So that you won't get the same lesson from golf tech coach to golf tech coach, but you'll get something that's similar. You won't have someone contradicting another person. That's not at all how golf instruction should be. I'm sure someone is listening and thinking, like, I thought we weren't supposed to try to fit into a model. Like, aren't we all different? Yes. So, like, what if what if uh, Matt Wolf showed up yeah. and, like, you were to, you know, give a lesson to him, get him on the system, like, look at these metrics, sure. like, what would happen? Sure. So, I've been teaching tour players for a dozen years, so I'm quite accustomed to seeing people who don't do normal things. Yeah. Maybe not to the extremes I think Matt Wolf does, but Matt Wolf would pass the scrutiny of that swing true study on each one of those elements and then some. That tilt to the left I talked about at the top, he's far past the 36 degrees to the left that I would prescribe. He'd be in the mid-50s, I have a feeling, for some of those short clubs. But I would, uh, with tour players, uh, the story of how to get to a good answer of where you want to begin with them is the same as it is a bad golfer. His story is just a little more complicated. So I would ask Matt, what do you want to do? And then based on uh, what he's doing, that would be the the path of instruction. It wouldn't be right in there and say, well, you've got a weak grip, so you need to turn it. He also has his left wrist very flexed on the downswing and at impact. So those two come together and don't compromise his game. They make it work that way. So, uh, Like you work with Brad Faxon. Like he, does he check both of the boxes in this study? He Pretty close. He's actually practicing a lot of the simple stuff. Okay. But uh, to Matt, though, Matt Wolf, I'd say, where do you want to hit these things? If he was slicing them, then maybe there's a conversation about turn your grip a little more to the right. If he's uh, overdrawing them, there might be a question of, well, where do you aim the face at address? And maybe just open that up a little bit and the rest of your swing's really nice. Or a touch in his follow through to lower his exit, something like that. So the system of how to teach should be simple enough that I could say, if you just do these six things for a beginner golfer, it'll work great. But then also put Matt Wolf and his unique swing up there and still be able to help him in a really short amount of time. That's teaching golf. And that's what we're trying to do at Golf Tech. No, that's, that's brilliant. I think that's a great explanation of like... You don't have to look the same to check the boxes, right? Yeah. And sorry if I misunderstood you. Exactly. You don't have to. And then uh, as much credit as we give someone like Matt about uh, Matt Wolf about how different his swing is, he checks the six boxes of that swing true study better than my friend Brad Faxon does and better than a lot of tour players do. But because his shaft is aimed 45 degrees to the right with his driver and his face is really open at the top of the swing and he lowers the shaft a lot on the downswing, all the... The, uh, the beauty of his swing is lost in that interpretation of watching the things that are unique. But mm-hmm. he has so many things that are similar to some of the best golfers ever that are just masked by that. So what your study is trying to say is we all don't have to look like an Adam Scott or a Tiger Woods. We're looking at like how the body functions best in the golf swing. Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say, or at least the generalization of if you do this, at least you're not going astray. Okay. 
you know, and, and no, not everyone's supposed to look like Adam Scott or Tiger Woods. The using PGA Tour players as models is an awesome way to get your point across to people and show someone, here's what someone who hits a ball really high and far looks like at this point in time. And here's how you look. Just notice how those are not the same. And then here, let's adjust you more towards Adam Scott or Tiger Woods because they hit the ball better than you do. Not to copy that person. And certainly not because of uh, physical abilities or limitations. That's not why you pick model swings either. You choose someone who hits a ball a certain way. Hmm. And then you look at how they do that. Interesting. How do you, how do you guys train that? Like how, how do I, how do I get better at, at hitting those boxes and checking those boxes that you gotcha. want to see? So the teaching piece, uh, so every lesson is done with that motion measurement system that I've described here ad nauseum, I'm sure. But, uh, so your coach will watch you hit, he'll watch where you hit golf balls. He'll ask you all these questions and, uh, he or, or he or she are professional golf instructors. That's all they do. And then, uh, through their education, which is a long time of training with us in Denver and then back at home in their locations, plus all the Golf Digest best teacher lists that are all over the, the world that we have from, from Golf Tech. All the education is continuously going, and there's this uh, brotherhood and community of teachers that do this for a living and all see the swing through a similar lens. So they'll look at a part of your swing that's the most invasive to your shot pattern you don't want anymore and help you adjust that and then show you the difference in the ball flight via our launch monitors and the motion data that you have or video as well, just as good of a tool. So you've got just objectivity everywhere. It's not an opinion of an instructor. You don't have to worry about the golf tech instructor that you're going to, are they as good as another one? They're all really using the same playbook. I think that's important. So like you're using these concepts and these technologies and these frameworks, this playbook, as you just said, with tour players as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. The rules are no different. Yeah. 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 And I think that might, maybe someone has a perception of golf tech doesn't think that way. Right. So I think that's really cool to kind of uncover, uncover that. It's just usually the better, uh, the better a player gets. Uh, Like I taught a bunch of golfers at Medina when Mm -hmm. I taught at uh, a golf tech location in Chicago. Uh, as a few of their good players came and got better and won their club championships or at Butler National, then they start sending their friends in. And it's really quickly, you can see it doesn't, you don't have to be a bad golfer for golf tech. You can be at any level. The rules for the best players, though, really just get smaller. Like their problems are smaller. So you might watch a lesson here where uh, a coach was trying to teach someone to turn like 40 degrees more in the backswing. That isn't what a tour player needs. They might have a problem with their left wrist on the way down or faces too open or too closed at a dress or somewhere else in the swing, or they need a better understanding about how their follow-through works and how to bend their wrists again. It tends to be the smaller things like elbows and wrists that influence the best players. Hey man, this has been super fun. I like, I was super interested in this cause I love data and I love like looking at concepts from this idea of like, let's look at some study first and then let's talk about it afterwards instead of the other way around. So I was super curious and I think this was really, really cool. I'm glad you did this. Yeah, Thank happy you. Happy to oblige. I'm glad you grabbed me on the range and said, Hey, let's do something right now. Yeah. It's, yeah, no, it's exactly. a lot better than over the phone. Well, sure. What's next? What you guys got something else planned? Yeah. So, uh, I hope to be able to beta test our optical motion capture system okay. here in the coming year. Nice. Um, very first quarter for sure. And then, uh, start collecting a bunch of data there. And then instead of being able to come on your show and talk about just your, 
uh, your tailbone or your sacrum and the back of your neck, which are really good points. Yeah. Um, I want to come in and talk to you about the hundred other locations that we're measuring too. And then what really is separating skill levels? Crazy. Going one more step than that. Then I want to have you tell me, well, this teacher says this, 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 and this. And then I want to run that through our database and AI program to help you understand the quality control of, is that actually what's making someone good or is that getting in the way? Wow. That's an interesting thing that the industry needs for sure. Data. I think that's uh, what I'm learning about you too is data drives our whole world and then it is not there in golf instruction yet. So I'd like to keep us at the forefront of that. That's exciting, man. That's like stuff that we dream of, right? Like being able to do that kind of stuff. This has been super fun. If people want to go see if they check those boxes of, of the, the Swing True study, how can they do that? Golftech.com slash Swing True. And then at golftech.com, you can find anything you want. And then uh, I think in the last maybe three or four months, I've spent a little more time on our YouTube channel. So okay. follow Golf Tech YouTube and you'll see uh, some interesting videos that we've done, some Q&As. And then there's some polarizing and really provoking content in there, too, if you're into that sort of thing. If you're looking for just your average golf tip or something, then... Uh, I'm on morning drive a couple times a week and golf tech's on almost every single day doing something on morning drive, but that's probably the easiest places to track us down. Perfect. And if I went to any golf tech location, I could get that uh, motion capture done and see where I'm at in comparison to the study. Absolutely. That used to be the call to action really of every video I did was go get your swing measured. I still think that's the perfect way to get introduced to the real world of golf instruction. If you've never had your swing measured, it can be such an eye-opening experience. Cool, man. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Thanks. Thanks.